You may have a seat. Let me read from you from God's Word, from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. This is the Word of the Lord. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. This passage points out two royal titles for us that of Caesar Augustus, and that of Christ the Lord. Luke, being a historian and a stickler for details, reminds us that all of these things were happening at a particular place in time among a particular people. Namely, it was in the Roman Empire during the reign of Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was uh, the emperor of the mightiest empire on the planet at that time. Rome's reach was massive. Her might was awesome. Her glory was stunning. And over it all reigned Caesar Augustus. In fact, Augustus had acquired so much power and he had consolidated so much power under himself that he even began to be worshipped as a god. In fact, it was under Caesar Augustus that the widespread worship of the Caesar really took off. And more and more Roman cities, not just in Italy, but far-flung regions into uh, Asia Minor that were under Rome's sway, began to build temples to Caesar to curry favor with Rome. And throughout the region, more and more people began to say, Kaiser Curios, Caesar is Lord. In fact, they began to stamp it on the coinage of the empire with an image of Caesar Augustus Kaiser Curios, Caesar is Lord. And it was under the shadow of that mighty reign that Jesus was born in a backwater town called Bethlehem. It's just that 
He was born in that place, the town of David, Israel's greatest king, just as it, would, just as it was prophesied. And we have then, next to the mighty Caesar Augustus, this other royal title, Christ the Lord. And there would be an ongoing tension after Jesus was raised from the dead and his followers, who had abandoned him at the cross because they never expected him to be raised from the dead, when he was raised from the dead and his followers were stunned and finally realized that he was God in the flesh, they began to worship him such that probably the very first Christian confession of faith was Christos Kurios, Christ is Lord. And they began to say that, and they began to etch it in the sand in places where they would meet in secret. While the world was challenged and commanded to say that Caesar is Lord, all the while this small movement following a crucified and risen Savior began to whisper, Christ is Lord. And God in His sovereign providence advanced His gospel, carried on by people who had seen, eaten with, fellowshiped with the risen Christ. Men who had abandoned Him at the cross merely three days later then would be utterly changed from frightened, unbelieving men to men who would be willing to lay down their lives for this risen Savior. And that they did And from their lips then came the confession, Christ is Lord. It is what we say to this day. It is what some two billion people on the planet today say. Christ is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Many say it and believe it. Many say it and there is no reflection of that reality in their life, however. And I wonder today, as we place so much attention on the coming of Christ and give thanks especially for the miracle of the Incarnation, if we could remember the implication here that Christ is Lord. Christ is Lord. You know, everything around us tells us that something or someone else is Lord. Everybody's vying for the position of Lord. Maybe some politicians try to do it or celebrities try to do it, but I think more often than not, What the world pushes us to do is to more or less declare that we are Lord. Make your demands. Have it your way. Do things your way. Follow your heart. The world is catechizing our children from the youngest ages to teach them that they are the Lord of their lives. And it's a dead end, brothers and sisters. It's a dangerous message because I am not the Lord. I would make a horrible Lord. And so would you. And so the question is begged, who is the Lord of your life? Well, we can answer that in one of two ways. We can say, on the one hand, this is who I say is Lord. And then, on the other hand, we could say, this is who really is Lord. Is Jesus Lord, though? Is Jesus Lord of your life? Have you looked to Him and believed? And I would say to you that there is a a longing within all of us. That God has written on our hearts Himself. A knowledge of the truth that we cannot escape. A burdening of our conscience that we cannot quite really fully run away from. You see, this one who is Christ the Lord, we're told, is also a Savior. A Savior. 
something that Caesar Augustus could not ultimately do. And it would be just several centuries later where the mighty Roman Empire itself would crumble at the hands of barbarians. Not Rome's military, not her glory, not her awesome past and tremendous feats and technological advances could ultimately save her from the crumbling within. All of man's kingdoms are destined for the same result. But you know, it's not just man's kingdoms as we see them outside in all of their glory, but it's my own personal kingdom that isn't going to last. And the question becomes, not just who is my Lord, but who is my Savior? And Christ came to be Lord. He is Lord. He was Lord. Always has been Lord. But He came to be Savior because you and I have the same dilemma, and that is sin. That is sin. And you see, really, I don't have to convince you that you're a sinner because you know it. You know it. It's the most self-evident, self-attesting doctrine in all of Christendom. We are sinners. But Christ came to be the Savior. And this is the best of all good news. And this is why the angels announced to the shepherds that night that they are there to announce good news of great joy, which will be for how many people? All the people. Not a nation will be left out. Not a language will be forgotten. Christ will be named as Lord and Savior throughout the world by God's sovereign grace. And my question to you then is this. Will you be among the throng of multitudes who say with one voice, Christ is Savior, Christ is Lord? And that's what I want to invite you to do tonight. To stop your running, to stop avoiding, to to stop putting distance between you and a God who loved you so fiercely that He did not even spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. Stop running from that God and know who it is who loves you. God showed us His love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Will you look to Him today? You see, Jesus entered an ugly world of sin and sorrow and calamity, of paganism and earthly pride and human hubris. He entered into all of that and the mess that it had created. And he did not raise an army, and he did not become a powerful politician. His ministry lasted three years, and then he was executed by Rome. But he changed the world, not as a moral example, although you'll never find a better moral example than Jesus. He changed the world because when he died, he died under his own sovereign providence, carrying our sin and our guilt to the cross. And that is why all these years later, the mighty multitude of people, generation after generation, who have found in Jesus Christ their Lord and their Savior, still say today that He is God. And I wonder if you will do that. Will you bow the knee to Christ the Lord? Will you look in faith to Christ the Savior? Those of you who believe, keep believing. Don't Don't abandon your Lord for the world. It's never worth it. Keep believing. Stay strong in the faith. Persevere and endure. And those of you who are struggling to believe, walk away from your sin, turn your back on your own failed program to rule your life, and turn to Christ the Lord.
Let's pray. Now, our Father and our God, I ask that you would cause the unbeliever and the doubter and the skeptic in this place, cause them to believe, grant them faith. For the one who is perhaps angry or cynical or hurt or confused, would you grant them faith and cause them to trust you today? For the one who is weak and sorrowing under the weight of calamity and loss, will you comfort them, Lord, with your good news? Jesus, you are Lord and you are Savior. And however much the world might press against that, they cannot change the fact that it is true. And so we praise you, we believe you, we look to you this day. In Jesus' name, amen.